Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg podcast. I am, of course, your host, Jason Mitchell, joining alongside Ian Hatcher. Got a little bit of, of NBA playoff basketball in the background. Um, how are you doing tonight, Ian? Can you actually hear it? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just also watching the game along with you. Oh, okay, okay. I was wondering. I had to make sure you couldn't hear it. I got, I got the volume set to, like, one. I can barely hear it. I swear it probably is going to come through the microphone, but I hope that's not happening. But I'm doing pretty good as well. I mean, obviously, you know, doing so well. We got the game going up. We get to talk about basketball. So much has happened. We started off like just this series recap and so much has happened in the NBA between now or that point and now. And it's really crazy. We got a lot that we got to get through. But I know something near and dear to you as a Celtics fan. It's really pressing, and that was really the first news that kind of broke after, you know, we kind of adjourned from our last podcast. So, uh, break down the uh, the head coach situation in Boston. Uh, before I hop into that, just for a, a little bit of a conciseness on this podcast, it's not going to be the the typical way we go. It's going to be more of a, a ranting style. Uh, we both haven't really talked about the NBA with each other for about a week and a half, so it's really just going to be – a lot of back and forth conversation between the both of us. Absolutely. But if y'all have not heard about the Boston situation, Danny Ainge, I I don't know if he was officially let go or if he stepped down as the, the GM of Boston, but he's no longer with the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens was promoted into his spot. So he is now the, the president of basketball and the GM and Boston is currently looking for a head coach. But with that, there have been a lot of a lot of really hot names on the the market right now for for the coaching pool. I mean, the first big name that comes to mind is Rick Carlisle left the Dallas Mavericks just yesterday afternoon. Um I think the news broke around 3 p.m. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, but the the thing with it is Rick Carlisle, while the the Clippers series in the last three to four games, I don't know how I really felt about it. I really his coaching efforts there, I don't I don't really know. But I think he would honestly be the, the best replacement for a guy like Brad Stevens. But even if Boston doesn't end up getting him, I'd be fine with either Stan Van Gundy or Scott Brooks, who both were not able to figure out contracts with their uh, respectable teams, the New Orleans Pelicans and the Washington Wizards. I mean, there's been so many moves at the head coaching position. I think think it's unlikely that Boston would go for one of those guys. I think if I had to throw out a couple names between Chauncey Billups has been the hottest name on the coaching market. It seems every single team that you just listed that doesn't have a head coach is somehow linked 
to Chauncey Billups. It, it seems to be everyone's top candidate or one of the first names to come out of their mouth, or at least one of the first names that the media is purporting. So for that reason, I, it looks like Chauncey Billups is going to be moving into the coaching ranks. You hear some hot assistant coach names. I, I heard somebody talking about an interview for the Suns assistant. I know Sam Cassell is another hot commodity on the 76er staff. So there's there's a lot of options out there. Becky Hammond and another assistant for the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, another female, or two women who are up for head coaching jobs. We'll have to see how that develops. So, I mean, there's a lot of seats that are opening up, and there's a lot of names that are getting linked to all these different teams. It's, you know, Twitter seems to blow up every 20 minutes with some kind of new lead or something. But uh, it's so hard to follow all of it that, I don't know what's going on with it. Yeah, just a a lot of big moves in the NBA right now, not even just playoff-wise, just staff-wise. It's it's insane to think that a guy like Danny Ainge, who seems like he's been in the Celtics, a Celtic nation for forever, just after a, a few bad moves, is basically forced to step down. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to throw out a theory here. I What if tomorrow night, for us, Jason, Milwaukee gets bounced from the playoffs? I'm under the belief right now, Bud, Bud Coach Bud, is gone. That's, that's what I think. I think he'd be another hot name out there for a lot of teams. But I, that's speculation on, on my part. I, I just think that he is – I just feel like that boiling point is there. You know what I mean? Like you can kind of feel it, the tension growing with certain franchises with how like just frustrating their postseasons are. And it, that is specifically the case with Milwaukee right now. I feel like they are in real jeopardy, especially because of some reasons we'll talk about later when we get into that game. Yeah, that that is definitely true. I think uh, Mike Boonholzer is definitely on the hot seat right now. Um, he's one of those more defensive-minded head coaches, uh, kind of like that that Greg Popovich, uh, Brad Stevens kind of role. But he hasn't been able to really figure out how to to really run a defense around a guy like Giannis. I mean, Giannis is he's one of the best defense defenders in the league. I mean, there's a reason he's a two-time defense player of the year. But when you have you don't really have that center mold that fits well next to Giannis. I mean, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, they're not really – Bobby Portis could maybe be the nice defensive center next to Giannis, but if you want to be able to run a zone, which I really think is the way to play defense in the NBA right now, a 2-3 a or a 3-2 zone, you have to be able to have that mobile five and – Milwaukee doesn't have that and I when you're coach bud you have to be able to to fit your defense around that and he hasn't really done that that well well I'll throw something out there I mean I you know Brooke Lopez is a fine player but there's no reason to me Giannis can't be the your mobile five I mean I'm not sold on this notion that especially after watching some of these games that Giannis I, I remember it you know it a couple of years ago it was like seven foot point guard. He was doing like, he had that kind of a point guard kind of a responsibility. I can't remember how that was possible because I can tell you now he just doesn't have 
he doesn't have a bag. Like he doesn't have moves. He doesn't have any kind of get to like uh, multiple moments have shown it. Like he just kind of feels like it goes back to kind of what I say about him. Like he is the most dominant player of this era, just physically imposingly dominant. Like you can't stop a guy with the measurables like that, especially when he gets to the rim. But getting there sometimes is like a journey with Giannis. He takes so, so it's so much wasted energy for him to get one bucket, especially when you watch somebody like KD. It's just woof, bang, Kyrie, woof, bang, LeBron James at times. I mean, he will slow it down, but when he wants to get a decisive bucket, it's bang. He has the handle to get there and do it. Giannis just, I don't know. It's something I, about that. I definitely can. I can kind of relate Ben Simmons and Giannis in the same category. I mean, Giannis is definitely a lot more dominant than Ben Simmons, but they work best in the full court, full court kind of offense. I mean, Giannis can take three steps and be at the rim. Like he, he has that kind of length. He'll take two dribbles and be able to Euro step and dunk the ball. But when you're in a half court offensive setting, you can't have Giannis be your main ball handler. It's it's not gonna work. I hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent agree. And I think part of the problems that we're seeing, in my opinion, for Milwaukee is I think this goes back to something that was really kind of slept on. I think the loss of DiVincenzo is really showing to have hurt them. Like they're just missing that dynamic guard presence like at times it, it doesn't feel like we've gotten like a good Chris Middleton and a good Drew Holiday night on the same night and just having DiVincenzo out there he just felt like the steady one the steady presence like you just knew what he was going to give you like he'd have the games where he'd step back and not do as much but still like just the steady defense and energy that he provided on the wing I had sorely been lacking to me as well I think you know I Every team is hurt. Like, don't don't think anything else. And no team is fully healthy at this point in the season. We've seen so many players go down. But, you know, I, I do think that that was kind of an underrated thing that wasn't mentioned as – I mean, obviously he's out. You can't just dwell on it and talk about it forever. But I think that was something that really hurt them. It happened late in the season, and it was just really terrible. Yeah, it, it definitely does suck. And Milwaukee's in a – a really sticky situation right now. They're in game seven tomorrow night. And if if they lose this series, one, I think Coach Bud is gone. Two, I don't know if people can really look at Giannis and say, I can build a championship team around that. Because if you can't beat a Brooklyn Nets with basically only Kevin Durant and a a – 40% healthy James Harden. I'll throw I out don't... one name that I think maybe could do it. Mike D'Antoni. I don't know anything about anything like that happening, but there's one – because that's the kind of philosophy I think is going to have to be – they've tried to lean into it, but I don't think – I don't know. It's – it feels like when he gets to the playoffs, it's a totally different offensive kind of mindset. Like, it's so much just more depend on Giannis to attack, 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 attack. When in the regular season, it it was Giannis attack, lead to 
an open three because you have to do- you have to help double or help or get in his vicinity to just try and stop him. And when that happens, you just that's where Dan Tony comes in because Dan Tony is going to make you pass that ball a certain amount of times and it's going to lead to a certain amount of perfect threes the way Dan Tony's offense always seems to do. And I could just see that being like the perfect recipe lining up for the Milwaukee Bucks. I I can definitely see that. It to I feel like it's a little bit of a stretch because I feel like the the offenses that D'Antonio has run with, he's had Steve Nash be his main ball handler. Take many threes. He was still a, a very efficient shooter. And then same thing with in Houston, he had James Harden and then Chris Paul for a little bit. And then he had Russell Westbrook be a main ball handler and didn't work out that well. I think your mic got unplugged. At least I I think it did, did switch back. Are we good? Oh, oh geez. Oh, there you go. Technical difficulties, y'all. Sorry about that. <laughs> We're knocking the rest off. We're knocking the rest off. Um, it's it's interesting because that Houston Rockets team that was basically ran by Russell Westbrook. I mean, the off the ball was still in James Harden's hand a decent amount, but I didn't really like that Rockets team at all, and I feel like. That would be kind of a similar situation if Giannis was to be in that mold. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that so, it would succeed anymore. I just think that that would be, like, the one situation that I could see, like, could really embrace the kind of philosophy that I think it's going to take to win with Giannis. Like, it's going to take a really aggressively insane kind of, like, four-out separation around your star inside presence in my opinion, to kind of work. Because like I said, it's the one thing I won't deny about Giannis. He's, I'll say it again, he's the most dominant player of this era. Like just in a Shaq kind of presence, like you just, you're at his mercy so much just because of his physical traits. But after that, you know, he needs to rely on the skill of others. I'm I'm not so, I kind of agree with what you kind of said about, you know, relating it to Ben Simmons as well. I think that's a perfect kind of assessment. Uh, before we hop into any other team, or before we hop into any other series, I mean this this Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee series has been crazy. I mean, Game Five, KD goes absolutely berserk, drops forty nine, seventeen, and what ten, played out of his freaking mind. Shot seventy seven percent. To will that Brooklyn Nets team. Yeah, to literally. They, I mean, it was – I had picked the Nets to move on. KD is my favorite personal player. I do have some kind of vested interest in how he performs. Take that in mind. But to see everybody fall down, I even said to myself, I was like, man, it's over. Like, it, good luck. James Harden happens to come back. Doesn't factor into the game – he had a factor. I, I will argue that his mere presence made it. The Bucks were aware of who James Harden, where James Harden was. 
Like they, it was very apparent that they were still honing in on him, whether he was a hundred percent or not. And he was definitely hampered, did not play well at all. Only ever had five points in the game, but KD had probably the most impressive playoff performance ever. I mean, I know I'm biased, like I said, but it felt like you were just watching history. I mean, every shot that he was making was just the biggest bucket, splashing anything he wanted to do. And we were just at to bear witness to his the skill. Like he is so skilled for to be as big as he is. And I think it's funny watching this series because it's like I said, it's the two total total opposites. I mean, KD has a lot of those physical traits being seven feet. I mean, he's not like the force, the muscle, that kind of a player, but he's got the the length and the wingspan that can make his buttery smooth jump shot damn near impossible to even contest because he's got that kind of a reach advantage on nearly every single player. And even when it's Giannis trying to contest it, who is on the same playing field as KD seemingly, the way he jumps and fades back so slightly keeps you from being able to get your hand on it and he will still cash it. And he's just, it's so deadly. I'm so happy to see it. Then game six, they lost, but James Harden had a better game. James Harden played a little bit better. Now Kyrie is ruled out for game seven. So with that in mind, I think this is a really tough call. And like I said, I thought the possibility of Budenholzer getting fired because I think it is a possibility. I don't think I'm not, I'm still not a hundred percent sold on this Milwaukee Bucks team. How do you feel about this, Jason? Honestly, uh, before I get into that game five, Shout out to Jeff Green for dropping 27 on amazing efficiency. I mean, 8 for 11 from the field, 7 of 8 from 3. Props to you, Jeff Green. I haven't seen you score over 20 in God knows how long. But but really, big game from him. to Because if Jeff Green didn't do it as well as he did, Milwaukee would have won this series last night. No, absolutely. That was a Jeff Green and KD game like that was literally every their whole team basically they were Jeff Green like you said I mean highly efficient every single time he was the one guy that was the other reliable kickout guy I think he was like eight for 11 from three that's what you need you need a role player to step up like that and Milwaukee against their credit they didn't even have that kind of a guy and they are the team that is supposed to have those guys if that makes any more sense yeah I all I know is this is this has been the most exciting series of the second round. Cause I mean, you have the a two time MVP facing up against and what is arguably the most dominant player I've ever seen in their prime. I never saw Shaq truly in this prime. This Giannis is the most dominant player I've seen in my life. Against arguably the greatest scorer ever. Like, you can't ask for a better matchup, and we've gotten the best of it. We have. I would have liked to have. It, it, to me, it's a little bit sad. The, the James Harden and Kyrie injuries in this series were just huge, like, backbreakers for the Brooklyn Nets. And to see them just kind of bounce back and, and perform – 
I mean, pretty much the way KD and Jeff Green did single-handedly in that game five performance, it does give you, it gives me some reason to believe that there's a, it's, I'm, like I said, it's 50-50 to me right now. I really can't go either way. I have a vested interest in wanting KD to advance, but I don't know. I don't think that'll happen, honestly, I guess, is what it means to me if I'm 50-50. I guess that's what that means. See, I, I've been seeing a lot of things. Is KD the best player in the world right now? I st- I don't know if I can crown him the best player in the world yet just because of LeBron's injuries. But he is definitely very, very close. That is, I mean, I, to me, I've always said KD is the best scorer to me. Like, that's – I think that is – Easy to say. And I don't – Katie has – I mean, technically, in the world right now, LeBron's not playing. So, I mean, I'll say yes. But there I'll is one – deep way and say yes because Katie is playing. There is one thing I do disagree with with some of these big-time TV guys saying – I think I heard Max Kellerman and Colin Cowherd discussing this. And you already know it's going to be bad if it's those two talking. If KD wins wins a championship this year and wins finals MVP, he's in GOAT discussions. That's no. No. He's not there yet. I'll be honest. And... Like I said, I'm biased. If this storyline of this postseason, I know you could say whatever you want about the Warriors championships, but if KD were to go out and catch fire, defeat this Milwaukee Bucks team with in it, it's gonna depend in the manner, is what I'm saying. Like if James Harden comes out, if he has another crazy playoff game and wins that series for them, for the Brooklyn Nets. And over the course of the playoffs, still never gets back 100% Kyrie Irving or 100% James Harden and goes out there and wins a chip with the guys. He's like Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, that team. I think you could make the case, honestly. I mean, that is a great – and assuming like he also plays, I'd have to say, in my opinion, the Philadelphia 76ers, I think that would be the biggest test for the Brooklyn Nets in the next round for him. Just like I said, with the storyline of a Kyrie and James Harden being hurt, I think you could make the discussion. Cause I think that'd be one of the most insane postseason dominant runs that we'd see, you know, I think he'd have to play Philly and then also play either Phoenix or he's going to probably end up playing it. Honestly, I think he'd have to beat the Clippers, the Clippers. in the finals. If, see, like, if it's just him. There's like a storyline that could happen to where I could see it happening, you know? If if it's just him. I, I yeah. don't see I don't see Harden being out at least under like 75% for the rest of the playoffs. Who knows with Kyrie? He's out doing his own spiritual stuff. And you never know what you're gonna get out of Kyrie if he's gonna be there or not. But I mean, yeah, the the hamstring injuries have been lingering with Harden all season, but if he's 75% and 
Harden's a top 30 player, 75%. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no doubt in my mind about that. So if he doesn't have Harden at least 70%, I can consider it. But if Harden's dropping, like, 20 points a game, 8 assists, no go. Yeah, see, and I, I I'd agree with that. I I think, like, yeah, for you to be able to have, like, a really good case at that because it is so far-fetched. Because, I mean, the guy's also, what, well, still only, like, 32, 33 years old. I mean, he still has years to go, I mean, and hopefully great play ahead of him. So, I mean, it's still there, and I can see it happening. But to me, with just how loaded this Nets team is, my favorite thing about him leaving the Warriors was that – he wouldn't have or have a chance for his championships to not, you know, so-called have asterisks by it, by being on these insane teams. And we haven't really, we're not going to see that, but if we do, and it's just all him, I could see the case. Well, I, the thing with the Warriors championships, I only consider that 2018 one uh, a quote unquote asterisks. Because that 2017 Cavs team was not terrible as everyone thinks it is. He LeBron still had Kyrie. He still had Kevin Love. Like, yes, it's KD, Steph, and Clay, but it's not like LeBron had zero help. Yeah. So I, I think 2017 was still competitive. But yeah, that 2018 season was just a wash, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but moving on from KD Giannis talks, let's talk about this series going on right now in game six. This Atlanta Hawks team has been on absolute fire this entire playoffs run. I mean, yeah, it's been Trey Young to I have to say this because I really have never really just came out and said it. Kevin Herter is always a slept on guy. I've, I've tried to give his spot away a hundred times to Cam Reddish. And he's just the glue guy. Always plays really well for them. Just a super shoot shooting performance every single time. Scores in the in the middle. Clint Capella is trying his hardest to contain what is a monster in Embiid. And you're getting also good performances from John Collins every now and then. Bogbong Bogdan Bogdanovich has played really, really well for you. I mean, it's not – and then Trey Young has been your, your, you know, knight in shining armor, your star, doing everything he needs to do, super efficient, but getting everybody else involved. He's been playing super, super well. I know he foul baiting, yes, say what you want, but it's been super impressive to see Trey Young do this, especially in a year where this was kind of the first regular season where nobody was really talking about Trey Young. I mean, he was the Atlanta Hawks were kind of a forgotten situation there for a good while. I'm to me at least, and I follow the NBA a good amount. So I found that find it really, really crazy that now they're making all of this noise when they were really, really slept on. And it's the onus is on the 76ers. I'm watching right now. Atlanta has the lead. I mean, we saw how the lead worked out for the team in the last game, but it's still the 76ers are losing in this one it's not even like they have the lead to blow so they have to really perform and I mean a good sign right here as I'm watching live Tobias Harris gets a dunk they need that man to play better he did not play good but I I still I I don't know what to make this this series either Jason I'm really torn I love 
all of these playoff series. And I can honestly see how Stephen A. Smith is so bad at picking it because it is so tough. Like, it, you don't, it's never as cut and dry as it seems. The team that's always slept on, always, it, at least this season, is coming out and really putting it on the other team. We've seen it everywhere. The Phoenix Suns swept the Denver Nuggets. Swept in four. That's uh, we gotta talk. I mean, I have to just at least touch on that because that is insane. They'll be in the Western Conference Finals, waiting on another game that we'll talk about in a little bit. But it's just so it, it's so hot right now in the NBA. So much is going on in these playoffs, and they're really really wild. I'm loving the fans being back. The atmospheres feel perfect, and it's back to that super crazy basketball we all know and love. Now, I have to say. This this 76ers team is really confusing me. And it's it's really looking like Embiid and Simmons are not going to work out unless Simmons can develop an outside game. Even a mid-range game. Something where you can shoot the ball. Because it is impossible to play him in the last eight minutes of the game. If you're If it's a close game. It's impossible. See, to me, one of the best things that could have happened was when James Harden was on the block. The Ben Simmons trade for James Harden, I feel like, was probably as perfect of a trade as you could ask for. It it just seemed like a perfect storm. Philadelphia has been sorely lacking this perimeter presence. Ben Simmons, number one pick of theirs, it was pinholed into that role, but can't provide the one thing that they're that the Sixers' most dominant player most sorely needs around him to succeed. For that reason, I thought it was a perfect storm for James Harden and Joel Embiid to work out. I thought that would be perfect. And and Ben Simmons can get a situation where he can be the dominant force on a team and have them build around him in that manner because that's what he needs. Because like we said earlier, he is shades and reminiscent of Giannis. I think Ben Simmons is more skilled handling the basketball. I'd argue they're almost identical on defense at this point in their careers. I mean, Giannis is DPOI, but Ben Simmons, I mean, you could very easily make the case he's the best perimeter defender in the NBA right now, which is a statement being six foot 10 and as big as he is because he does the work down low as well. And he has the plus passing and I think he has a better handle. But yeah, it's just hard. I mean, I, I can see it. I would like to see it work out. And I think that, you know, we're kind of a victim of the moment because kind of like I said right now, Atlanta is beating Philly, but there's a universe where Philly advances. And in that universe, Philly will be playing what in the next round? And what do they do? I think it's you can't make any kind of decision like that until you see it. Like they could win this entire season I think that is really in reality right now with everything that's going on with all the teams around the league I think it's really anyone's game I'm not a hundred percent I'd say if anything I'm probably the most sold on the Phoenix Suns and they have a Chris Paul situation that needs to be sorted out I mean we have no guarantee that the 
their opponent will even be decided by tonight. But there's just so much going on that I don't think there's any way that you can really lean and say for certain one team. Yeah, I definitely think the 76ers are are really kicking themselves for not trading Tyrese Maxey and Ben Simmons for James Harden. I mean, who knows? Harden's injuries could have continued in in, in Philly, so it would have just been the Joel Embiid show, and they might not have even been in the playoffs. But I don't know. It's it's weird. Like Philly just really confuses me, and then Atlanta is having the the playoff run no one expected from them. I mean, everyone thought they were going to lose in in five games to the Knicks, and they end up beating them in five. Yeah. I I thought it would be six for New York for sure, but that, it, like I said, Trey Young was the best star in that series by by a good amount, and he's as Joel Embiid has been amazing, but in especially doing what he's doing, knowing that you know you still have to think about that knee situation and you know that's still there and so to see him just kind of perform he's not having the best game right now at half and this one let's go down by four 51 to 47 to the Hawks but he's been so so dominant for them so you could say that you know the James Harden hamstring thing would kind of linger I, I you could obviously say that but there's also you never know and it probably would I, I don't know <laughs> so it would it really wouldn't matter like you said but it would be the Joel Embiid show but that's the one thing you can say about the Sixers I mean with the talent they have and the performances they got the other night from Curry I mean it get, does give you a little bit of a hope and I it's hard to say that a player like Ben Simmons really will play as bad as he did again you know four points it's difficult to say, but I if if the Sixers go another year, not not this year, but if they go next year without making the conference finals, I think you have to trade one of them because it it would be clear that it's not a, a good duo. I think the same thing is going on in Portland right now. You either got to trade Dame or CJ, and it's been the same thing. Over and over and over and over again, and they haven't yeah. traded either one of them. And what has it led to? Absolutely nothing. And I feel like that's gonna be the same thing in Philly. That is true. That is true. But to me, it's just it's so weird. especially because you look at the two particular talents in Philadelphia. And I can't say that I've seen a situation where it was uh, other than maybe KD and Westbrook at a point in time, I would argue as just an OKC fan in general, but of two just so dominant or just, I don't want to say dominant because it's not like Ben Simmons is this, you know, statistical anomaly as well as, you know, the freak of nature that he just is. But you can just see, especially from like a talent perspective, like, oh my gosh, I have two like potential kind of all-time talents. Like Ben Simmons can see the floor the way very, 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 very few players can. And uh, what do I have to say about Joel Embiid and what he can do? 
So for that reason, you know, it's hard to say maybe from that point of view, like to part with either one of them, but I, I can't agree with you. I mean, for sure by next season, or at least I'm a little old fashioned just for the reasons that I just said, but so maybe I'd want to see it out through their contracts. And if one of them, yeah, well, no, I, yeah, break it up. I agree. Cause I mean, you can't, the one thing you can't do is you can't interfere with Joel Embiid's window. To me, if you're Philadelphia, that has to be your priority. He's your best player. Ben Simmons is your number one pick. He was awesome. But if he can turn into something, a better fit beside Joel Embiid, you have to make that move. Especially with Embiid's injury history. I mean, he's he's never played a full NBA season. Unless I'm, I'm incorrect and he played most of this season. He's never really – he's never had the, the health to be able to get through an entire season which is crazy. And he's still as dominant as he is. And he, hell, if he, no, he definitely didn't play this entire season because he would have won MVP. Like, considering he was still second in MVP voting with how how little time he really played, that's crazy. That's how dominant of a player he is. Yeah. No, and you, I, mean, I agree. I mean, for, for all of those reasons, I overlook the injuries because, I mean, I, what he's doing, like, that's why Ben Simmons is, is so much in fault right now because Joel Embiid is, is so well. I mean, it's so insane, so perfect for them. And like I said, this is the first game where he's really kind of, I mean, eight and six at half. It's quiet. It's quiet. Tobias Harris is stepping up. And pretty loud in the first half with 12, but you're going to really, really need it. And right now, I mean, Ben Simmons, four points. He's only played nine minutes in this game. I mean, how much, how much faith does Doc Rivers have in Ben Simmons? And how sad is it? Because Ben Simmons has three fouls. Never mind. That's exactly why. Because Trey Young is, Albating, I'll say that, but it just—it's a tough matchup for Ben in this one. I, I don't know what you do if you're Doc Rivers in this situation. Yeah, I—I I don't know if what I do if I'm the Sixers front office, if I'm Doc Rivers. Like, they're just—they're in a kind of limbo right now. I think that's the best way I can describe it. They're in that superstar limbo where you have. Like you said, two all-time talents, but you don't know if they can coincide next to each other. Yeah, that's the best way to equate it, really. I mean, like they're especially like you said, like from the front office perspective, like looking at neither one of the goes. I I don't, I couldn't put either one of those guys on the trade block, or I wouldn't want to be the guy who does, you know, because you just know that it's so unlikely that you get a player back like that. But that's why with the James Harden situation, that's why I thought it was a perfect storm because it would check all the boxes seemingly. But And that is probably looking like what Joel Embiid is going to need. I mean, Seth Curry, to his credit, is trying to do that. Tobias Harris is a fine player. But James Harden offers so much as a player. And I think, you know, imagine I imagine if Ben Simmons' ta- talents elsewhere were – 
how, how good of a player he would be if he was that all of those talents were shooting and it would be an amazing fit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would. The, the thing with it is like you said, like you said, it's very unlikely you're going to get a, a good return out of a, a star player that doesn't want to be there. Really the only trade that I can think of that comes to mind where both teams won was the Anthony Davis trade. I mean, New Orleans got Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, a whole bunch of picks, and then they drafted Zion. But the thing is, Philly's in the playoffs. They're not going to be able to get a Zion with their draft pick. So you can't really do that and hope for a godlike player to come into the draft. You got to find a, a team that's willing to trade even what's half of Ben Simmons. Yeah. But what team is really going to want Ben Simmons if they don't have the right fit around him? So it's Philly's just in limbo, like I said. Yeah, well, with Philly's limbo, we'll see how this final game plays out. There still could be a game seven, depending on the outcome of this game. But I say it's time we probably move on to the Western Conference Finals. Something I personally want to just talk about for a second. I know it may be short-lived, but I have to, for once, be able to applaud Paul George in this playoffs. With the first game with Kawhi being out, the game where we really stopped kind of, I'd say, giving the Clippers chances, Paul George has his, I'd say, best game in a Clippers uniform. Uh, he was huge for them as the, as the star, the main guy, huge for them. And doing it with no no disrespect because they played huge, but Markeith Morris and Reggie Jackson as, as the side guys. So I thought it was absolutely huge what Paul George did. And in a similar way, huge to what Donovan Mitchell has been, was doing earlier to begin this series. I can say – I think I can really say on – what was it? Wednesday night? That was the first time I've seen Paul George play really well in the playoffs since he was in Indiana. Yeah. I have not seen him have a playoff performance like that since he had 13 on in Indiana. Even 20. I think he was better with 24 on. Because I'm pretty sure he wore 24 when they led... They almost beat that that Miami Heat team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The twenty four was the the Paul George coming out party. He wore twenty four, and then he came out and announced his presence. And then he was PG thirteen because I remember I had heard it as like I want to say like a joke. Like how cool would it be if his number was thirteen and then it would be. PG-13. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and then it happened. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's actually sick. But, you know, yeah, 24 was the sick Paul George coming out, uh, first initial coming out party. And this is the second really since then, kind of like you said, it's been frustrating with the injuries he's kind of had in the playoffs to, you know, just now kind of be getting back to playing. It's just this, to me, it's 
every year it's the three-point efficiency as soon as we get to the playoffs and it's the frustrating turnovers and just he's he's had the injuries to his credit uh, I guess you know over the poor play but it's still just been frustrating to watch a player of his caliber struggle as hard as he has yeah it, it really does suck and then on the jazz side Bogdanovich played out of his mind he had the best game of his season of his playoff career Donovan Mitchell can't have another shooting performance like that. Six for 19 from the field, four for 14. You're in elimination mode. The Clippers don't have Kawhi. This is the time you need to step up and be the superstar. Everyone knows you are. And he responded to his credit. I will say he responded. I was really, really impressed because kind of like you said, it felt like the first good playoff game in a long while. Uh, I I really, really like that for Paul George. And it's just obviously like makes this game tonight at 10 o'clock, which I'll be watching more exciting because you kind of, kind of, like I said, you can give the Clippers a chance, I guess. I still have the Utah Jazz advancing. I just think, you know, since losing – Kawhi especially with just the way that it sounds you you see teams sometimes come out and, and just play better in the following game after losing a really really good player but ultimately it's it's Paul George and a bunch of role guys to be honest I mean and that's the reality of what it is I mean if we're being honest that's kind of what he had in Indiana I mean, yeah, but it's the different NBA landscape now. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but I, will, I mean, I mean, I do kind of agree. I mean, you know, it's not like Donovan Mitchell. I, you could, I mean, Rigo Bear is a, a second star. I'll say it. You know, I, I he's just, it's his leaps and bounds above if if he were to play the way I think he should, you know, to finish this series. Then I think ultimately, with two games, I have Utah winning one of those. I, I really do think, like, I think Paul George plays his best basketball when he's the number one option, and he doesn't have that true second star next to him. I think that's why he was so good in Indiana. I mean, yes, he had that MVP caliber season in his last year in OKC, but then played poorly in the playoffs. Granted, you never know what what injuries was really affecting him if his shoulder was really the biggest conflict. But he's played his best basketball when he is the true star on a team. And that showed Wednesday night. And it might show again tonight. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just kind of like we've been on behold, like we've seen it again. Like to me as a Thunder fan, I know it's come up multiple times. My Thunder bias in this episode, but it's the first time we've even seen him play that this good since he brought it back in the early part of the season. And it slowly kind of began to just, I don't want to say fade, but it, it slowly tapered off. And then we came into the playoffs and then the frustrations returned. So it kind of like, it felt like, Oh, we fell back into the trap, but 
it could be, you know, because I think it is all mental with Paul George. And for me, if that mental part is solved, I will kind of agree with you that, like you said, this it's not too different from what he had in Indiana. Like Roy Hibbert was – Roy Hibbert could be a semi-comparison to like Rudy Gobert. Not as good, but just not, – Not the superstar, but like a, a decent player next to you. Yeah. I, I could see uh... – Zubak being in that kind of role. Granted, he doesn't start, but that that similar kind of role to what Roy Hibbert was in in 2014. Yeah. Yep. But like it's it's really going to come down to can Paul George step up and lead this Clippers team without Kawhi to to a Game Six victory. That, that's what it's really going to come down to. Yeah. I think it's just – there's just overwhelming – It's a I, lot of stress on Paul George right now. Yeah. I, I think he can't let it get under his skin. Yeah, no, for sure. Because if he does, that's when things start to downward spiral – and with Kawhi not there, no one you're you're gonna what rely on Reggie Jackson to step up? I wouldn't. Yeah, he had a really good first round series, and he's playing decent in this series. But I mean, if Paul George is cold from three, it's it's kind of over. Yeah, it's just because it's so much on him. In this series, and for that, yeah, I'm I'm rolling with Utah. I think they'll ultimately pull it out, and I, I think it'll be an exciting Western Conference Finals between the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz. But that's just my hot take, my hot prediction. I have, I think there's one more thing we have to talk about, and it was huge news this morning. Well, I say we talk about this this Phoenix Suns and uh, Nuggets series that valid valid the Nuggets got absolutely demolished. Before we get into the series, congrats to Nikola Jokic for winning MVP. Yeah, big ups to my guy. I mean, the first center to win it since Shaquille O'Neal back in two thousand. And he deserved every bit of it. I don't care what people say. Oh, Joel Embiid deserved it. Oh, Curry deserved it. One, Curry didn't make the freaking playoffs. So all you Golden State Warrior bandwagons, shut up. Nikola Jokic played out of his mind this entire season. He was averaging a triple-double for the first, like, month and a half as a center. To me, that's what it was for Jokic. It was the sustained effort. Joel Embiid was the closest and the only real case in my mind um, because – but there was the there was a dent in his resume, and it was the injury. And that was enough because that was the kind of season that Jokic had, and it was start to finish like you said. He was – it was very apparent. I mean, it's, it's weird to say that it had been so long since a center had won it. I mean, it just goes to show how – perimeter oriented the game is now but it also goes to show with how big of an impact Nikola Jokic has on the game 
he plays the center position unlike we've ever seen. I mean, we've seen molds of Embiid before. We've never seen Nikola Jokic at the center position. And he had a season that hit on all of his freakish abilities. I mean, everything was on display. To me, I think he has some of the best touch of any player in the NBA. The amount of just touch shots that fall buttery through the net from him. You want to talk about post turnarounds, post fades, one-handed, just put up floater prayers, and even to, out to the three-point line. It, it's His touch is beautiful. He has such a good feel and hand-eye coordination when shooting the basketball, and it's so underrated. Such a soft touch, too. And I just think he's he's got everything you would want from the center position. I mean, he the defense is the only knock, but, I mean, offensively, he's one of the best players in the entire league, and he showed it all season long. Now, now with this Phoenix and Denver series, Phoenix did the complete opposite of what we thought they should have done. They let Jokic get his buckets and shut everyone else down. Like, Jokic, he did his thing, but no one else could make a bucket, it seemed like. That's why they lost 4-0. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. That The defense Phoenix played was phenomenal. Yeah, I have to, again, shout out. Mikhail Bridges and, and um, Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder, because they were mon- they were huge for them going up against the t- like forward duo of MPJ and Aaron Gordon for the Nuggets. And once those guys were neutralized, then the microscope was really on Compazzo and Austin Rivers and. and they could not do what they did in the first round. They could not uh, – I mean, I, it wasn't just all them. Like I said, I mean, MPJ and Aaron Gordon also faltered because of those extremely good wing performances for the Phoenix Suns. But, I mean, they got swept. Nikola Jokic was clearly frustrated at the end, got ejected from the final game, and that really sealed the deal. And, I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, you had Suns fan in four beating the – mess out of of a Denver Nuggets fan who's punk. Yeah, I... The the big thing for Phoenix now is when is Chris Paul going to come back? Um, Is he going to come back from COVID protocol before... before the the series is even halfway done with, with LA or Utah? Like... If Chris Paul isn't there, I don't know if they're as good. They're still a very good team, but Chris Paul is the the main catalyst of that yeah. of Phoenix. Yeah. Now I don't. The Phoenix Suns will not have a, a good time without Chris Paul. I mean, it, it took a Chris Paul resurgence for them to get out of the first round. To me, at the end of that series, when he really turned around his play and showed that he was really healthy. I mean, some of those performances he had at the end kind of like started to even quiet the doubts about how his shoulder felt. But now, I mean, being out with COVID, it's like, I I don't know. I don't want to really speculate on it because it could be, 
I, I've just heard too much. I don't know what's true. I keep hearing he's vaccinated. I don't know what that means for COVID protocol. I, I don't know how they're going to handle it. I can't imagine that he can't start this series. Maybe I'm just crazy, but I think if he can't, then it's it, a really kind of crazy double standard being set based off of something that happened with LeBron earlier in the playoffs. And they really just swept that under the rug. And Chris Paul is that important to a team that is in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, they, he is needed on the Phoenix Suns team. He is their LeBron James. I mean, I love Devin Booker, but he's the AD. Like, he is the second player. He's a great scorer. I mean, he's got a hell of a future ahead of him. He's a top 20 player for sure. But Chris Paul, just the impact winning-wise that he has is so huge. I mean, he, I don't think that they stand much a chance without him. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either. I'm I'm hoping Chris Paul is all good. I mean, I, I had Denver win the series, sadly. Um, but with with Denver out, I'm I'm rooting for Phoenix to win this all. I mean, Chris Paul deserves his ring before he retires, and I really think this is his best shot. I I think this is his last super competitive year. Yeah, I mean the writing I won't say it's his last competitive year just because of how well he's playing and how much he still means. It's not like, it's not like I say, I kind of make it out to be like, it's a lot of it, like 90% of it is leadership and all of this kind of stuff. Like, no, but he's the best player also on this team because of what he can do on the court right now as well. He is still one of the best passers of the point guard position has ever seen. And he is still, the Mr. Midrange God with a better three-point shot. And I mean, he's well, the he is the well-traveled grizzled veteran. He knows all the tricks. He's the smartest player on the court. He does all the just small winning things for you. He gets the, he knows when to lean into a player and get the foul in the right situation to go in the bonus and go to the line and hit two. He does, he does things like that, that are just huge. And you know, his health is the big question for Phoenix. It's And their chances hinge on it. So hopefully Chris Paul is back. That's no matter if it's the Clippers or the Jazz, it's going to be a fun series to watch. It would be amazing if it was the Clippers to for Chris Paul to get revenge for L.A. never being able to bring him anything. I mean that'd be a, a fun yeah. revenge se- uh, re- fun revenge series. Yeah, it would. But I'd also like to see Donovan Mitchell in his first ever conference finals. But I'm I'm fine with either outcome at this point. I just want Phoenix to to make it because Chris Paul is one of those players that deserves a ring before he retires. Yeah. He definitely deserves a ring. I'm I'm pulling for the Suns too. I mean, I I've always really really liked Devin Booker. I I like to talk all the time about kind of scouting and looking at the game from that kind of perspective. And Devin Booker has long been a player that I've whose game I've really really liked. I'm really happy that you know the Chris Paul situation has happened in Phoenix, because the basketball they're playing is awesome to watch. I, I love it. They're great storyline. 
nothing against Utah. I mean, it, I, I don't care who, but right now, if I could just say who I would want from the West for sure, it would be the Phoenix Suns. They just are the fun. And I, I like the Chris Paul motive or storyline, excuse me. Yeah. If, if I could pick my ideal finals matchup, I would love to see the Nets versus the Suns. But also the Nets versus the Hawks would be not the the Suns versus the Hawks would be wow. That would be crazy. But I, I think that wraps up the playoff talks and we had a, a as you were trying to bring up early, we had a huge, huge trade go down this morning between the Boston Celtics and the OKC Thunder, which is crazy that our two favorite teams had the biggest trade of the offseason so far. Or not even offseason yet. It's still playoffs. but Yeah. But, no, a huge deal nonetheless. The first move from Brad Stevens. Um, Kemba Walker getting sent to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Mo- or Moses Brown, Al Horford, and the Thunder received the 18th pick in the draft. And I believe a second round pick as well. Yes. And, and go ahead. No, it was the 16th overall pick. Oh, the 16th overall yes. pick. Yes. Excuse me. Um, and I think it was really kind of perfect. I think one thing, the only thing that I had to question a little bit was why Moses Brown was included. Yes. I, That's an interesting one. Yeah, like, did he have to be? Because I think I've always just thought that Al Horford was made so much sense in Boston. I almost just hated when he even left to go to the Sixers, not only because I hated the fit, but it just felt so perfect. I mean, he was the Embiid stopper for Boston, and then he became the Embiid teammate. Stopper. Yeah, not it didn't work. It was like, I don't know. It just was wrong. It didn't go together. And then it was the Oklahoma City thing, the contract dump, all of that. And now he's back in a situation where I think it's a lot better. And so I think it could have happened either way. But the Celtics now, you know, after – I think it's kind of sad. I think you had really something to go to with Robert Williams. And I don't know how Moses Brown factors in that. And you also have Taco Fall, somebody who could have factored in – at any point in time, maybe, but they make that move and he's there and it gets us the 16th overall pick. I mean, it just feeds into what Oklahoma city wants to do. I mean, they want to flip these veteran players that no one wants for money. And at this point, everything that the Oklahoma city have turned, what was ultimately Danny green into is insane. Absolutely insane. It was Alexei Pukasevsky last year, um, two picks in this year's draft, Al Horford, and now what will come of these picks? And, you know, they have so many picks that they won't make – they won't be able to make every single one of them. I mean, they could field a whole roster and then some with the players – with the amount of first-round draft picks they have over the next seven years. So, I mean, they can't spend all of them. They're going to have to – turn some of them into players and that's when it's going to get interesting. I I don't know how other Celtics fans feel about this, but I'm I'm a really big fan of this. Also, I think the the big thing with 
uh, moving on from Moses Brown. I think that really shows that OKC is really trying to invest into Tony Bradley. Oh yeah, which I, I'm yeah, a I'm that. a fan of that. I I also ha- I had another theory, and it was maybe that Oklahoma City is kind of signaling their intentions that they want Evan Mobley out of the draft. The the one real I'd say like prize big man at, at that kind of top tier of the draft. We still have to see how the lottery plays out and all of that. The Thunder in particular have a lot of questions that need to be answered there. But continue to go on about how you like this trade. I'm glad you like it because I like it for the Celtics as well. Because the big thing was, like, I think Kemba was holding back the development of Tatum and and Jalen Brown. And now we bring back a guy who was a, a dominant force in Boston. I loved Al Horford in Boston. Like you said, he was the Embiid stopper. And now he's back. I mean, he def- he's aged. I mean, I think he's either 34 or 35 now. Like, he's definitely not the same Al Horford Horford when he was in Boston, but just his presence alone is going to be really nice. And now we have an actual big man, uh, not named Tristan Thompson. I I really like Moses Brown's game. He's that that dominant force in the paint, the rim protector, a Rudy Gobert kind of player, which is what Boston has needed for the past 10 years or close to – since KG left, that's what Boston has needed. Yeah, no, he has very, very exciting potential at the center position. And that's the only reason why I even said I had a little bit of a problem with it was just because we gave up a kind of young, good, exciting young player. It does kind of leave the room open more for Tony Bradley. I still want to see a lot of what he can do. But I kind of thought we were more kind of becoming invested in Moses Brown based off of the way we used him. Now, I, I know we kind of also leaned into him for the tank. And to kind of, you know, help our chances. So I do see that. But I also think that, you know, there there is something there. And, and Celtics fans do have a reason to be excited about Moses Brown. Oh, watching the Philly game and B is down with an injury right now. Is he holding his nose? Yep. Yeah. He got uh, posterized pretty hard by John Collins. Yeah, it was not good. Um, but yeah, I this is a really good future for Boston now. I mean, Al Horford, I I say if he doesn't play decent in his contract year, you don't bring him back unless it's on a very cheap deal. And then you really build around Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think Moses Moses Brown is going to fit very well into this into this championship aspirations. I would love if Boston still had Jay Crowder, uh, but that's been long gone uh, with the Kyrie trade. <sighs> that lots of dumb moves by Danny Ainge in the past few years, but I'm I'm really hoping Brad Stevens can really bring back uh, the Celtics to a, a championship nature. It's off to and a good start, I'll say. By it's point. off to a very good start. Yeah, I, from what I've seen thus far, I like it a, a whole, whole lot. I, I think we're semi-caught up with the NBA news. Is that possible? <laughs> I, I think so. Um, so much has gone on in the NBA. I mean, the playoffs are, are really, really ramping up right now. I mean, we already have one team in the Western Conference Finals. We might have our first team in the Eastern Conference Finals if the, the – 
the Hawks are able to to wrap this one up. They're down by six right now with five minutes left in the third. But it, it is absolutely insane what's going on right now with all the coaching changes. Brad Stevens now beat a, a GM when we all thought of him as one of the best coaches in the NBA. So who's going to fill that role? Who? What's happening with Luka? What's happening? We didn't even talk about the Dallas Mavericks situation. But uh, the Rick Carlisle, situation. the the Rick Carlisle situation, Chris stops Luca, like Luca's not not happy with Dallas right now, isn't happy with Chris stops, like just Dallas is in a a really really bad spot right now. Yeah, I mean Carlisle's on the way out. Supposedly, I mean, there is a little bit of good news. Dirk, uh, Dirk Nowitzki is um, hopped on in an advising role and is going to help to try and pick the next head coach of Dallas. But I don't know. It's a good look, and it's also kind of like a what are you doing look because it's like the only real voice that you should give a damn about is Luka Doncic. I mean, he is a top five player in the NBA right now already for everything considered. And, I mean, he has to be – you have to do whatever it takes <laughs> is what I'm saying to keep that man happy because as long as you have a Luka Doncic, you can win a championship if you do it half the right way. It's kind of like – it feels like for the first time in a while, I'll say like a LeBron situation. Like it feels like it's this quick. I mean, it's just like build around this guy. Do whatever it takes. I mean, fit all the right pieces. Go. It needs to happen. He's that good and can do it that well late in the season to win you a chip now. Yeah. It. I don't know if you're Dallas. Do you do you look at trade options for Chris Stops or like? It's. I don't even know. I think it's really gonna, it's going to come down to who they pick as their head coach. I think if they if they get a, a good head coach that can have an offense through Luca and Kristaps, that's going to be really good because I think with Rick Carlisle it's really mainly just through Luca. I mean, it really showed in in the playoffs. Kristaps was just standing there most of the time on offense. Yeah, I think it's definitely a better fit, um, or there can be a better fit around Luca, and I don't know if it's a confidence thing with Chris Stapps, but he's never really gotten back after that ACL injury. I mean, it's sad because, I mean, before right before that ACL injury was the best Chris Stapps we'd ever seen. And since then, we'd see flashes and spurts and games, but he's just such a perimeter shooter now. It's kind of like when Kevin Love joined the Cavaliers. Like, they, it was such a – a huge difference from what he was before and what he became when he joined the team. And it feels like now Chris Stapps is just a seven foot three spot up shooter. When in the past, he was a ram running shot, blocking, alley oop catching, like a kind of a freak, kind of a weirdo, like uh, maybe like early career Giannis kind of things. I mean, it was crazy. And he had the handle and, and the skill and the touch. I mean, it was really something to behold, and we have not seen it in that capacity since joining Luka Doncic. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping this this new head coach in Dallas is really able to bring out the 
the star potential Kristaps has while still having – I think it could easily be a 70-30 split of the offense between Luka and Kristaps, and that would be perfectly fine because Luka is the superstar. He's he's the LeBron of the team. I think Kristaps could be the Kyrie. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that for sure. It's going to take more of embracing kind of what I said is missing from his game now. Um, that athletic ability. And I think, you know, the perimeter defense is a big, big priority given some of Luka Doncic's deficiencies. And so for that reason, I think they can, they would be doing a good job to address that position of need as well. And if you can get, you know, what we've seen Chris Stapp's do at his best from him, then it, they're scary. But if it's if that will be the case. Yeah, I I hope it works out for Dallas. I love Luca. I love Kristaps. I also love the the statement that Mark Cuban gave a, a few days ago saying he'd pick Luca over his wife if he had to. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Mark Cuban is one of the, the funniest owners in the NBA and it shows there, but Dallas really does need to to get their stuff together if they want to keep Luca happy. Yeah, because that is their number one priority right now. Um but with that I think that's gonna wrap us up for our little NBA rant. Um just so much news has happened since our playoff prediction for the second round and in just a week and a half time we've had four coaching changes a huge trade a sweep in the the second round and maybe three game sevens wild crazy and it's still getting even crazier. I mean, this I'm still watching this game right now to see what's going to happen. I, there's so much that is still to be decided. We don't even know our matchups yet, but you know for sure, once we know the matchups, that will be coming to you with the video, breaking them down so you can be in the know of what's going, what's going down. But with that, I have, of course, been your host, Jason Michener, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time.